Welcome to University of Iowa Insights, a monthly audio magazine featuring interviews with some of the world's leading thinkers, researchers, and teachers. In this, the June 2009 edition of our program, Chris Clare talks with Rod Lennertz, Director of Campus and Facilities Planning, about how the university plans to live with the Iowa River one year after the historic flooding of 2008. Then Nicole Real talks with English professor Steve Cusisto about new disability studies courses he's teaching and why it's important for universities to offer classes on the topic. We finish with Gary Galuzzo talking with engineering professor Craig Just about a handheld device in Benedict, Iowa that costs less than $10 and turns non-drinkable water into safe drinking water. I'm talking with Rod Lennertz, Director of Design and Construction in Facilities Management, about the impact of last year's flood on campus planning. This June marks the one-year anniversary of the flood. What did we learn about the Iowa River as a result, and uh, how has it affected campus planning and construction projects? Well, it's interesting. The, the master plan was actually centered on the river prior to the flood. Uh, we had spent a lot of time studying the river basin, and we're looking at how the university interacts with the river. The river was always seen as uh, a resource to the campus and to the community and not so much an amenity. And so we wanted to change that. A lot of our buildings uh, back up to the river rather than address the river. And we want to work at bringing people to the banks of the Iowa River, engage the river. And so a lot of our attention was on the Iowa River even before any, any threat of the flood came. What was it like in those first days and weeks of the flood for people like you who oversee campus facilities, landscaping, and uh, infrastructure? It was a new game for many of us. Many people on the campus served new roles in the midst of the flood itself, and then in the days and weeks after, it was all about cleanup and still sort of a red flag emergency situation on campus. We were also not so much thinking about planning as we were getting the campus back on its feet at the start to get the summer semester started up again and then to think about the race towards um, being ready for 30,000 students in the fall. We were doing less about planning than we were about recovery, getting some critical buildings, uh, classroom buildings and the Mayflower Residence Hall back up so that we could get the fall semester started. At that point, uh, we turned our, our attention toward longer-term planning on the campus, more intermediate and long-term recovery issues, and primarily getting the power plant back online because that had a long-term impact for us. I imagine there has been some pressure to simply walk away from the Iowa River to build as high and as far away from the water as possible. How have you responded to those comments? We early on and still have um, people suggesting to us, wouldn't you move the entire arts campus? Why would you stay next to the river? And it's a reasonable question, except that we have learned that the replacement, the potential replacement of Hancher Vox McClapp, for instance, that complex for our uh, outreach performance and our school of music, that building alone is going to be more than $200 million to replace. And when you start multiplying that by all the the buildings in the river basin, the costs would be such that um, uh, it couldn't be managed by the state or the university. We will not be placing buildings delicately at the edge of the Iowa River anymore. We still look at the river as something that sets our campus and sets our community apart from many others who have campuses of our size, and we intend to take advantage of it, not be afraid of it or stay away from it. 
How optimistic are you about our campus's future relationship with the Iowa River? We are at a unique place in history where we can make an enormous change on this campus. We can have facilities uh, born out of this disaster that will mark this time, but will also stand as symbols for the campus. We can have a river that will a river basin that will not only survive this flood and recover from this flood, but will be better than this river basin has ever been. Integrating uh, uh, our relations to to Iowa City and to Coralville, bringing people to the river and enjoying it like we never have before. I've frankly never been more optimistic about the future of our campus, even in the midst of the challenges that we're facing this year. Blind since birth, Stephen Cusisto is a nationally known advocate for people with disabilities. At the University of Iowa, he works with doctors to identify how they can best assist visually impaired patients. He's also developing new courses in the field of disability studies. Steve, tell us about some of the classes you've created. Last summer, I taught our first ever disability and film course. We looked at films like David Lynch's famous movie, The Elephant Man, and Rain Man, mm -hmm. My Left Foot, Children of a Lesser God, The Miracle Worker, you know, the famous Helen Keller film starring Patty Duke and Anne Bancroft. And we looked at those movies both in order to understand how they might expand the public's understanding about disability, but also uh, to see how they reinforced certain stereotypes. And I understand the next class that you're planning to teach would be about veterans and disability. Could you tell us about that? That would look at veterans' stories from literature, you know, novels, short stories, memoirs, and films. So you'd get everything from Ernest Hemingway to Toni Morrison to uh, a film like Born on the Fourth of July. And we'd talk about veterans and disability studies and the history of veterans in the rehabilitation of disability. The Americans with Disabilities Act was made possible by the hard work of military veterans hmm. who came home from the Vietnam War. The seeing eye dog, or guide dog as it's now popularly known, was invented by the German army after World War I because they had all those soldiers who were blinded you know, by trench warfare, gas attacks in the trenches. And during the war they had been training dogs to carry messages through the trenches and so they figured out well we can train these dogs to guide blinded soldiers through the streets. The connection between forward progressive momentum for people with disabilities and the experiences of veterans is just very closely connected. Steve, tell us why you think it's important for colleges and universities to offer courses in disability studies. On my right hand, I have my college ring. And I've taken to wearing my college ring because only one in five students with a disability graduates from college. I use this as a talking point because I'm very interested in promoting academic culture that will support and sustain students who have disabilities so that they can be successful. And I think about that every day. In the next five years, we expect a fourfold increase of veterans 
with disabilities who will attend higher educational institutions. Our goal is to bring disability into academic culture so that it's part of the curriculum at the university, just like other areas of human concern. Thanks a lot for your time, Steve. If you'd like to learn more about Kusisto and his work, Google Planet of the Blind and you'll find his blog. My name is Craig Just, and I'm an adjunct professor of environmental engineering and science and faculty advisor to the UI chapter of Engineers for a Sustainable World and for the UI chapter of Engineers Without Borders. Craig, what is the project called, and uh, what is its goal, and, and how many students uh, were involved in developing it? Um, the, the project doesn't have a, a distinct name yet. That's part of, the, part of what we're working on in our phase two part of that. But in the first phase of the project, it was called the design and development of a handheld electrolytic chlorine generator. The goal of the project is to, um, for at least originally, as I proposed it to my students in my class, was to, for less than $10, develop a device that fits in your hand that can turn salt water into chlorine such that it would be valuable for disinfecting um, a surface water that folks might be using for their drinking water purposes. Tell how the project uh, came about, beginning with your trip to Haiti uh, and the design of a course called Design for the Developing World, if you would. Yeah, I took. Uh, I went to Haiti um, just before Hurricane Jean in uh, the fall of 2004, and what I saw there with respect to people and their ability to obtain safe drinking water was uh, really shocking to me, and uh, that helped kind of drive uh, some of my work uh, with our students to uh, help to deal with such issues. Um, out of that, then, um, I started a, kind of a, a program where I was taking students to countries like Haiti, Mexico, uh, and, and elsewhere, and I wanted them to have some training so they would know how to kind of work in those sort of settings, and that's where the course uh, Design for the Developing World came about, to kind of build our own local capacity of students that would be able to uh, interact well in these international settings. How did the uh, U.S. Uh, EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, choose to honor the project, and uh, where was it showcased uh, during February of 2009? The EPA first gave us a Phase One award of $10,000 to work on the initial prototypes for this project. Um, the best prototypes that came out of that were then taken into competition in April of 2008 in Washington, D.C., and uh, based on those prototypes and our final project report, the EPA awarded us Phase Two funding uh, of $75,000 to uh, carry the project forward. Tell me... Uh in brief, how the device works. Um, bleach has been made industrially um, using electrodes and electricity in a process called electrolysis uh, for several uh, decades. So we've taken that concept and simplified it and used it in a handheld device where a hand crank supplies the, electrici uh, the electricity. There are electrodes inside the device that then convert just basic salt water uh, into concentrated chlorine bleach that can be used for disinfection. Who could potentially benefit from the device? And has it already been tried by citizens of any developing country? We took one of the pro uh, prototypes to Mexico with us, and uh, some people tried it out there and found it to be 
fairly easy to use. Um, but that was in a community who has uh, access to safe drinking water. This fall, uh, we have some students that will be doing a study abroad in Accra, Ghana, and uh, we're going to dovetail on their study abroad experience, send additional students there throughout the fall semester to get this in the hands of people uh, in a community called Kumasi, Ghana, um, to the north of the capital city. Thank you, Craig. That was Craig Just of the University of Iowa College of Engineering. This podcast was produced by the University of Iowa Office of University Relations. For more information on our podcasts or to subscribe, visit us at news.uiowa.edu.